you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. My guest today is Eric Scheninger. Eric is a senior fellow and thought leader on digital leadership with the International Center for Leadership and Education. He began his career in education as a high school teacher, but realizing that his true passion was leadership, he went on to the district level and ultimately became the principal of New Milford High School. He has distinguished himself as a thought leader in education and won many awards. As a writer, Eric has an award-winning blog, a great new book called Digital Leadership, and almost 70,000 followers on Twitter. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do as an educator? Uh, well, uh, Steve, I've been the principal at New Milford High School for the past seven years. Um, also, I've been in the district for the past 10 years. And, uh, you know, my role really has been to try my best to create a school that works for kids as opposed to one that traditionally has worked well for the adults. So uh, as a principal, you know, for the past five years, we really began in earnest to, trans to radically transform teaching and learning, learning culture um, that, you know, sort of resonated with our students in a way that was more meaningful, uh, more relevant, applicable, and really created a situation where they enjoyed coming to school. Um, you know, my journey uh, personally and professionally started, you know, five years ago when I decided to uh, get on social media, something that I was resistant to. And at that point, you know, I discovered that, you know, social media provided this doorway to a world that I never knew existed. And as I began to work and learn, I discovered that, you know, technology in itself will is and will never be a silver bullet for education. But it's that the people uh, the humans that actually use the technology effectively to enrich the learning experience for our kids. It's those people that effectively use technology that ultimately will be the silver bullet that education needs to right the ship, to put us on a better course, to prepare students for success in a society that's rapidly changing due to technology. You sound like my wife. She's been an educator for quite a while, and she's been doing tech education. She says the exact same thing, that the technology is not the silver bullet. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because uh, after visiting uh, with you guys earlier this year and seeing what uh, uh, Laura Fleming is doing as your technologist there in the library, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it's people that bring the amazing changes because she's done a fantastic job there, and obviously you're uh, – making a fantastic change in the school there. I wanted to ask you, uh, as I was listening, it occurred to me, how, how difficult was that shift to change from a, a, a system that favors the management or the uh, adults in a school situation to a system that really fosters learning and uh, helping the kids learn? Well, the two hardest things we had to learn how to do was give up control 
and trust our students. And those two elements are extremely difficult for a model of education that's entrenched in conformity and sustaining an industrialized uh, education model. So, you know, once we were able to do that, initially it was, it was very difficult because, you know, I guess I'm considered one of those early adopters. You know, when, when I sort of started drinking the Kool-Aid in 2009, <laughs> there, there weren't many other people that were drinking the Kool-Aid. Everyone was skeptical. Um, you know, there were comments such as, you know, this is not relevant, it's a waste of time, um, there's no connection to teaching and learning, it's not safe. You know, if education is good for one thing, it's good for making excuses not to move forward. So, you know, again, my, my, my heart and mind said that, you know what, I, I think we can do better and we need to move in a different direction. And, you know, I just kept trudging along. And, and my job was to provide a shared vision and empower others to see the value in how new age tools could be effectively integrated to uh, enhance learning experience for our students. And by, you know, not enacting any mandates or giving out any directives, you know, we moved from a core group that I worked with that shared the same vision as me. They were given the support, and over time, you know, the dominoes just began to fall, and, and everyone else started to embrace through the autonomy, removing the fear of failure, consistent support, cheerleading, and just providing a slew of uh, success stories and examples of how other schools and other educators were doing it. So eventually, uh, New Milford and my staff and students, you know, we became sort of the epicenter of this movement of what's possible in education, of how you can successfully move a traditional school forward uh, in the digital age and, you know, still experience success in all those metrics that are used to evaluate schools. So it was, it was a slow process, not initially embraced. But, but now, you know, as you have seen, you know, there's so many different facets and moving parts that have become, you know, a part of our system that, you know, our sort of litmus test, our measure of success is how many visits we host on, on a daily year of schools and educators coming in to see firsthand without any, you know, dog and pony show the work that we're doing. And, and I think that when you see... Uh, what our kids are doing, what our teachers are doing, and you talk to them, you can't help but also experience the enthusiasm that, that we have and see the impact that it's having. Well, I definitely enjoyed my visit uh, earlier this year, and I, I, I was impressed by just some of the phrases that were used and some of the um, uh, ideas that I saw being enacted. Because it is, I mean, you guys are definitely using some very current, uh, ideas and terminology to describe what you do. Um, and so for those of us who are, you know, pushing the envelope out here on the front of technology, um, we're beginning to wonder a different kind of question. And, you know, I'm sure that you've thought this through a lot as a uh, ed leader in education. So in this age where Wikipedia can sort of effectively improve our IQ by 20 points, and we can Google just about the solution to uh, 
a semi-infinite number of things on Google, how do educators measure student achievement? How do they push uh, student learning forward in an in age where knowledge is not really necessarily the quest anymore? Well, it depends on how you define student achievement and how others define student achievement. You know, across the country, many schools will be forced to be measured by PARC or Smarter Balanced or their own system. But, but I think what we truly want to do is how do we measure the attainment and application of new skills? What skills does the real world demand? What is the job market looking for? And I think that as we develop criteria that um, effectively integrates technology where appropriate, to allow students to demonstrate those skills in action is, you know, a, the real measure of achievement that we should be focusing on. And those skills, they're commonly referred to as 21st century skills. We call them essential skills at New Milford. You know, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, problem solving, um, global awareness, digital responsibility, digital citizenship, uh, entrepreneurship. So. How we measure those, I think, is key. And I think that the best way to do it is through either a rubric-based system or, in the case of what we've done at New Milford, taking uh, the digital badge system that Laura Fleming has developed to acknowledge the informal learning of teachers and create a system that acknowledges the learning and skill attainment of students where they then, you know, once they've demonstrated a new skill through the use of a tool or just, you know, any other type of assessment, they're then awarded a digital badge which would go to a portfolio that could then showcase uh, those new skills. You know, and I think one of the things that has helped us as we move forward in digital age is sort of like you said, information is out there. And any students can Google a fact. Our Bring Your Own Device initiative, which has been in place for four years, has created an environment where teachers can no longer ask questions that can be Googled because students have access to the tools and devices. So I think technology also has uh, put us in a position where we can sort of increase the rigor in our classes by creating more higher order level thinking questions. Uh, where technology can be one tool that be used to help arrive at the answer, but it won't just flat out give them the answer. So has this approach also uh, inspired your teachers to grow as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, what we've done is, is really we've learned how to unlearn and relearn. And, you know, we sort of looked critically at professional development and when you hear the word professional development, it's always something that's been done to us. It's not something we've wanted to do. It's been forced on us, one size fits all, no relevancy, boring, no sustainability, to creating a self-sustaining model that really is fueled by the intrinsic motivation or the innate desire to want to learn and get better. So, you know, I think technology has not just piqued our interest, but put us on a better path to create our own self-sustaining models to learn and grow. And in turn, you know, we have been able to fuel our sort of innovative evolution by creating models that are much more relevant, meaningful, and applicable to our needs as educators. And we've done that in a variety of ways. You know, 
we started personally at the individual level with personal learning networks where we can, you know, educators connect with like-minded people using social media to engage in conversations to improve professional practice. That then evolved into, you know, our looking at how do we structure professional learning opportunities at our school, we created the professional growth period where teachers are released two to three period two to three duty periods per week to follow their passions and, and learn about different areas that uh, engage them. And you know, through the professional growth period and the resulting learning portfolios that teachers create for the end of the year evaluations, Innovation is flourishing because it's all directed at the individual level. It's not being micromanaged and uh, or forced from a top-down approach. And then the digital badge platform that was created to acknowledge informal learning. It's all about it's all about choices, Steve. Teachers now have all these choices that they're in control of. And that final option is we also have created our own conference that provides the hands-on. Uh, experiences that teachers need so that they can see how uh, different tools fit naturally from a pedagogical perspective uh, to improve or enhance learning. So, you know, our learning has changed so much because of our embracement uh, of a different way of, of thinking and doing things. Did the change that started uh, five or six years ago that you're describing, was that something that was sort of a baby steps that evolved into an avalanche, or was it just kind of a slow trudge through and things just started, you know, changing step by step? I mean, was this, how, how did the change occur? Was it like a straight line or like a, a, an exponential curve? Um, initially, it was just a mistake. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was a blip on the radar because I did not see the relevancy, the value in how digital technologies could be incorporated into a traditional school setting. Once it clicked with me, there was an uptick. And then once it clicked with my staff and students, it was exponential. And I think, you know, years one and two, it was sort of like a steady incline. And then years two, uh, years three and four, it was an exponential increase because we created structures to support the type of learning that we wanted professionally. Uh, we provided the support for uh, the pedagogical integration of a variety of tools. And then we really started to see cultural transformation on a variety of fronts and, and huge initiatives that were school-wide, such as our original device, our makerspace, um, you know, things like that really now have become those embedded components that are sort of non-negotiables. It's a part of what learning should look like and should be in 2014. And then we're constantly trying to anticipate other changes that need to occur before we have to react to uh, changes that we're seeing in society. As I'm listening to it and some of the things you're saying, it sounds like you have worked really hard to build a team in your school around this idea of, because you described like a small core group and then you described other faculty getting in and then the students. Is that is that how this is 
proceeded? Change does not happen via the um, activities of one person. Um, the change is a collaborative, collective effort because you can only move a system forward if all stakeholders feel that they have um, sort of a stake in the decisions that are being made and that they actually see that their opinions are, are valued in terms of creating a, a, a school-wide culture that works for everybody. Uh, you can't move a school forward like we have at New Milford without the collaboration of a variety of different individuals and support on many, many different levels. But the collaboration is key, you know, creating a collaborative shared vision for change and then implementing a plan of action to determine if, you know, we get the desired results. And that's the one thing I see in social spaces so often is people either get too consumed by making excuses why something cannot happen or by providing opinions on what others should do. You know, change is not about uh, position. Change is about action. Anyone can be a catalyst for change, but it's those actions that you take in the face of adversity and excuses, um, and it's those actions that ultimately would determine whether, you know, a school can ultimately transform and be better for kids. But it, it's the accumulation of actions that are taken collaboratively that really is, um, in my opinion, the key to successful change. So as you guys were considering uh, the changes, and obviously you have taken action on these things, did the topic of what is the purpose of an education come up in your discussions over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's pretty simple. The purpose of education is to unleash a passion of learning amongst our students so that they can discover their strengths, their skill sets, and ultimately be successful in, in today's society. You know, we shouldn't be asking students, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because chances are the jobs that are going to be available don't even exist yet. We want to provide them with, again, those skills that the global job market demands. Because if we do that, we, we're ensuring their success um, in terms of their future career aspirations. So, you know, education is about unleashing potential for learning. Uh, unleashing one's passion so they can explore more in depth and through that exploration, those experiences that develop those essential skills that are pivotal to allow them to perform a variety of diverse functions in a society that is constantly changing. And that is where our, our schools are failing our kids, is education is still based on a cookbook. It's based on conformity to rules. It's based on preparing students for an industrialized world that really the workforce that no longer exists when we need to uh, foster inquiry, provide inspiration, uh, allow students to chart their own path, to learn from failure, to understand that mistakes are probably the number one pathway to, to learning. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, education, it sounds simple, but that's what it really should be.
you've touched on the next thing that was in my mind to ask, and that is how do you help students learn how to gain these skills that you're talking about? Well, I mean, it goes back to what I said before. One, you've got you to give up control. Uh, you got to trust students and empower them to take ownership of their learning. When they take ownership of their learning, that, that is the um, sort of the, the ultimate level of what we, where we want to be. And in order for them to take ownership of their learning, they have to be put in a situation and environment to be taking their own risks, where they're going to be learning from their failures, where they're going to collaborate, communicate, think critically, do all those things. But ultimately, they're going to produce a product that demonstrates conceptual mastery. They're going to be able to create something that, you know, and showcase what they've learned in ways that a standardized test can never do. Um, but in order to create that environment, we need to understand that learning is messy. It's not just based on moving from one content area to another. It, it, it's creating a learning culture that takes all those different content areas and throws them all up against the wall and, in essence, creates uh, an environment that is more reminiscent of the real world. Wow. That's quite different than what, what we see and hear from a lot of uh, other schools and systems uh, in our interactions. And it brings me to something that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, why did you invite your library specialist, Laura Fleming, to start exploring maker education? Well, you know, I think that the key to change is hiring people that are not only smarter than you, but have a different perspective that aligns with the same ultimate vision that you have, which is providing a world-class education for students. And in the hiring of Laura, you know, with all of my staff, the, the, the message is simple. The task is simple. You know, we want you to be great and, and really implement profound initiatives that provide a different means to the same end. That same end is learning. But the way that we've done it for so long is broken. It's not resonating with our kids. It, they're not seeing the connections from one area to another. And I think that, you know, with the maker movement, it's, it's so simple, yet so effective. And because it's messy and not as structured as other learning activities, it scares people. But allowing students to tinker, invent, create, to learn in a way where it's not being forced upon them, where they're allowed, they're not feeling that they're being assessed all the time and it's going to impact their graduation. You know, it really allows students to push their own learning boundaries that are based on their interests to create something that means something to them. And anything that means something to our kids is something that we really are obligated to implement. And it's simple. At New Milford, for the past, you know, five years or so, even for the past seven years, 
if your idea is going to positively impact the life of a child, let's go with it. And if it doesn't work, let's find a way to make it work. You know, we focus on solutions as opposed to excuses. And, you know, with our makerspace, we're, we were and still are constantly learning, you know, because it's new. But the bottom line is kids want to be in that environment. They want to create things. And the end results are it's impacted students' decisions on what colleges they're going to attend, what careers they want to pursue. Other students have gotten paid internships based on the work that they've done in the makerspace. Those are true, tangible results that we can say, you know what, this is making a difference. But if you really want to see the difference it's making, come in there during a lunch period and just watch what the kids are doing, which you've seen. So what was it about the tabletop inventing makerspace in Seattle that attracted you as you walked by? We didn't really have a chance to talk about that very deeply, and I'm, I'm curious what you saw. Well, again, um, first I was excited to hear that there was a maker garage because, you know, makerspaces, even to this day, are still foreign to the majority of educators across the country, across the world. But because we had had one, you know, I was interested to see not just the type of technologies that were in there, but what the kids were actually doing. And, and that's what, it, that's what uh, you know, when I came upon it, I mean, that, it, was, it was like being in my school on a larger scale. You know, kids were there because they wanted to, and they were learning. They were using a variety of different um, maker tools that I'd never seen. But the end result is the same. Students were creating something, and they were constructing new knowledge based upon the work that they were doing with tools to create something meaningful to them. And that's what I saw at the tabletop inventing um, space at at the, uh, you know, uh, NCCA was students excited to explore, create, invent, tinker, to learn. And, um, you know, it made me, re it reaffirmed sort of the environment that we had created at, at New Milford, which we were, you know, doing by piecemeal. You know, we were creating it based upon things we were learning about but the overall impact uh, was the same. Well, it was sort of an accident that things turned out that way. I don't remember if I had a chance to tell you that story or not, but the students were supposed to come help us uh, man the booth, and we, were gonna, we gave them a little short crash course the day before the conference on how all the tools worked. And their job was to, you know, invite people in and help them learn to use the tools. What really happened was the students came in, they got so enthralled with the tools, that they just sat down and started using it as a makerspace right there on the uh, on the exhibit floor, and by again, like you said, completely by accident, it turned out to be exactly what you were looking for, and what a lot of people were looking for was what does a makerspace look like when students are engaged in learning? And I was so excited that that's how it turned out, um, and I, I'm glad it didn't actually we, we didn't actually do what I had planned to do. What, what they what they did was actually much more interesting. And that's what's great in the major space is all student-centered and focused. And, you know, we put them in the driver's seat and just observe the awesomeness that results. Now, I, we've see, we see that over and over again, um, you know, which is why we're so excited about uh, maker education. 
So I just want to wrap it up by asking you one last uh, question. Uh, in your opinion, um, do stu students who learn to build and invent new things have a significant advantage over students who, whose primary learning can be captured by a you know, Scantron test? Well, yes, because life is not a test. When is the I mean, life is a test, but you're not. It's not standardized. And ask yourself, when have any of us as adults taken a standardized test that has profoundly impacted the work that we do? We have not. I've been a principal for the past seven years. I've not taken a test to do my job. My wife is a guidance counselor for the past four years. She's not taken a test to do her job. You have not taken a test to do your job. So why do we force all these tests on our kids year in and year out? Ultimately, that test is not going to prepare them to do their jobs. It's the experiences, the experiential learning that making allows that is, again, more reminiscent of the environments and, and situations our students are going to be in. They get to learn from failure, trial and error. They get to construct new knowledge. They get to collaborate and do all these things that they do not do on a standardized test. And I think that as we begin to integrate more uh, major spaces in schools at a variety of levels, and we get kids excited, and we learn how to connect other subject areas into the maker space, which is what we've done in New Milford. It's been a huge complement to our STEM programs. And I think then we will truly, um, others will see the potential of, uh, you know, maker education in today's environment. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Why don't you tell us how we can stay in touch with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, the best way is uh, my website, which is ericsheninger.com. That is E-R-I-C-S-H-E-N-I-N-G-E-R.com. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I am NMHS underscore principal. Those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Thank you, Eric. We'll catch you down the road and looking forward to the great new things you do as you move forward. All right. Great talking to you. Thank you for joining us for the Tabletop Inventing Podcast, where we are seeking to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? You can connect with us on facebook.com slash Tabletop Inventing or on Twitter at TTInvent. To learn more about Tabletop Inventing, visit our website at www.ttinvent.com. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education?